it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This afternoon, Andrew and I are going to do a bird's eye view of the Google 10K or annual report. We thought this would be an interesting walkthrough of a financial report so you guys can get an idea of how we look and read through the financial statements that the company provides for us. So Google is a company... Alphabet is the official name, but we all know it as Google. The company G-O-O-G or G-O-O-G-L are the tickers if you want to follow along at home. The website that I use and I believe Andrew uses to read the 10K is uh, BAMSEC, but you can also use sec.gov or you can also go to Google's investor relations page and you will be able to find their reports there as well. They'll have their 10Ks or annual reports. They'll have their quarterly reports. They'll also have proxy statements and all kinds of other fun stuff. So if you really want to learn a lot about Google, go to their investor relations page and you'll find a plethora of information to entertain you for hours. (laughs) If reading financial statements is your kind of jam. I guess the first thing, let's talk a little bit about what is the first thing that maybe you look at and then I'll chime in on my thoughts on the financial statements. I've said before that I jump around. So depending on what I'm trying to find, I'll be at different spots. What do you do when you open up a glorious 10K? Yeah, I will jump around too, but it depends on what I'm doing. So if it's a company that I'm not familiar with, I will literally start at the beginning and try to work my way through the company. And the way that I approach it is the first thing I think I have to understand is what it is they do. How do they make money? And if I can't understand that, then it doesn't matter what I understand about the rest of it. Because if I don't understand how they make money, then there's no point in me continuing. And so for me, it just makes sense to kind of start at the beginning and work through it. And Google is a company that I've been interested in in quite a long time. I know it doesn't fall into your wheelhouse because of the dividend situation at this point, but maybe someday they will. But at this point, they haven't thrown in the red flag yet and are paying a dividend yet. So um, so this, this is a company that if I was looking at Google like I am today, then this is how I would do it. So I would start with the first section, which is the business section. It's item number one. 
in the 10K if you guys want to follow along. This is the 10K that's dated February 1st, 2022. And so I would just look at the business section and just read through that and kind of give you an idea of what it is that the company does. Now, Google is a bit of a cheat because I think we all kind of understand what it is that the business does. And I guess when I'm kind of just skimming through the 10K, a couple of things that kind of jump out at me is, first of all, the company reports in two segments. So to me, that goes, okay, two segments. And the two segments are Google services and Google cloud. So I kind of have, I guess, a sense of what those two are going to entail. But as you read through this section, it gives you a better idea of what it is they're trying to do. Google does a really, really, really good job of kind of laying out what it is they do, how they define what it is they do, and who their competitors are, and what they're really trying to go after. For example, they have a little section here on moonshots, and that falls under the other bets, which also falls under the Waymo kind of idea where they're trying to, this is where they just throw a whole bunch of money at a part of a business and see what sticks. And they try just about anything. And so Waymo is, I think, the big cash cow, if you will. It's not making money from what I understand, but it's the self-driving car business that they're trying to create. But things like Gmail and Chrome and the uh, Google Drive have all come out of the other bets section of Google. So as you're kind of working through the business section, it just gives you a really good idea of what it is they do and what they're trying to do. They talk about AI, which is obviously very important to them. And so you get a real good sense of what the business is doing. And then they have a section on Google services, and that includes everything that we're familiar with, Google, Android, Chrome, Gmail, the Drive, Maps, Photos. It just goes on and on and on. And if any of us live in the Google ecosystem, which raising my hand to do, then these are all things that I'm going to be very familiar with. Parse down like there's got to be a better way to organize, think about the 10K than like 16 sections. How can we simplify that to like the meat? Okay. All right. So that's my question to you is how would you maybe segment this or what's the big picture of how somebody should think about what these six, like what's important within these 16 items. Okay. All right. That's an excellent question. And it can be overwhelming when you look at this, there's 16 sections, like holy moly. So for me, the things that I would look at, especially if I'm starting and looking at a business that I don't understand, I'm going to start at the business section. Then I'm going to look at the risk factors. Then I would jump to the section that's labeled number seven, which is management discussion and analysis of financial conditions and results of operations. That basically is an overview of what management thinks is going on with a business. And they're going to give you more nitty gritty details of what is happening in the operations of the business. I guess the next section that I would look at would be the financial statements and supplemental data. And for me, that would kind of wrap it up, honestly. In that section would be the three financial statements and the notes. And that can be a longer discussion as well. But those for me are, I guess, the big three or four things that I'm going to look through when I read through a 10K. How about you? Yeah, 100%. Okay. All right. So, you know, as you work through each section, one of the things that I try to do is I try to create a list of questions that I want answered because there's going to be things that are going to come across that I may not understand or I want more clarification on. And so, for example, when I'm looking at Google, 
And I read that the Google Cloud is one of their segments. For me, I would want to know what's in that segment. How does that generate revenue and business for Google? And is it a good thing or a bad thing? Is that something that is a really big part of their business or a not so big part of their business? But maybe it's the next big growth area for the business. And so those are all questions that I would literally write down on a piece of paper or type it up on notes on whatever Word document you like to use, you know, Google Sheets here. (laughs) And those are things that I would want to answer. And sometimes you may find the answers in the section you're reading. And other times it may be in another section. And I think this would probably be a good point to talk about our good friend, the control F function. Would you like to tell uh, (laughs) friends and family at home about our friend there? Yeah, so control F simple shortcut obviously you have to be on the computer to do it but you can search for any keyword inside of a document i use it all the time i know you do too and whether i want to find like if you want to quickly go to the balance sheet and you don't want to scroll through 100 pages to get to the item 8 of the financial statements you can just type in balance sheet and then click until it takes you to balance sheet i do that all the time i like to type in like geo for geography so I can quickly see where are they generating revenues. In this case, I guess we would control F cloud, right? Right. And we basically went right there to page 55 and it says exactly Google Cloud Platform, which is infrastructure, which if we've done some work on a company like Microsoft or Amazon, you would know that's like the servers, the things that this computers and all the stuff on the cloud runs on. And then it also says Google Workspace is included in Google Cloud. So that goes back to all those great apps that you talked about that we all use, Gmail, Docs, Drive, Calendar, and Meet. I mean, that was embedded in what, page 55? But using Control-F let us skip through a lot to answer that first question that popped into your head. Yeah, maybe one of the best secrets, if you will, of like reading through these things. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. Not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. 
After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. It absolutely is. So I guess after I work through the the business section, I guess one thing I want to throw throw out there, if this is a company that you're somewhat familiar with or you've done additional work on, let's say that you have read previous 10Ks of Google's, for example, you don't necessarily have to go through the business section word for word when you read through the 10K again, because you already know how they make money. You already know the businesses. Unless there's something new, it's a good idea to maybe skim through it to see if there's something new that they add or if there's a different maybe business model or there's some new program or product that they're rolling out that they may want to feature. Generally, what the company wants to promote the most is going to be the things that they talk about the most. And so those are little, I guess, subtle hints that, hey, this is important for us and it's important for you to understand as a business person. So the fact that they differentiate Google Cloud as a separate business underneath their hood is important because that tells you that, hey, this is something you might want to learn more about if you're going to ever invest in this company. And so those are little clues that you can pick up along the way as you work through the business section. And again, if you're familiar with the business, you don't necessarily have to read all the way through that. I guess another little caveat is sometimes different companies will basically regurgitate that in the the MDNA or the management discussion. They'll literally copy and paste some of those sections and put them in the MDA. So that can help you I guess, air quotes, speed through some of the sections because if it's redundant, you don't have to read it like a book and read every single word. You can skip around it. You're not going to get finance penalties for not reading every single word of what the business puts out. So that kind of covers like the business section. Let's maybe skip to the risk section. And I know this is very important to you. So maybe you could touch on the risk section a little bit. Yeah, it really is. A lot of times I get too excited about a company. I mean, why would I read their 10K unless I was excited about them, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of times to balance that out, I will have to force myself to trudge through the risk factors because you'll find that you feel really differently about a company once you read about some of the things you were not aware of. So that's very good. And usually within the risk factors section, there will be something where they talk about competition. So a lot of times businesses will say, we face intense competition. In our they space. All they all they do. They all do. Yeah. We all we're all facing intense competition. I mean, that's that's just a reality of life. And so in my mind, 
finding competition is a very critical step to understanding a business's model. Sometimes I'll learn more about a company's business based on what their competitors say than what they say. Because some of these are written like marketing pitches, especially some of the cloud tech ones, not Alphabet, but some of the like newer kind of tr- cloud ones that don't make a profit. They need to make it sound like they have a great business. They'll have something that maybe is flowery and, and has all these things that either you don't understand and they make it hard to understand on purpose. So you just give up and try to read something else or they try to make it, everything sound better than it actually is. But if they do mention a competitor, you can go to the competitor's report and maybe they are a lot more straightforward and maybe they explain the business better and you can say, okay, well, these people directly compete so I can kind of understand what how their business works. That was one of my big focuses is I'll find where they list competitors. Not every company will, which can make it frustrating, but find out what the company's competitors are. So in the case of Google, I still have this cloud thing highlighted, which makes it nice because they actually have a competition section and they have all these different companies, which is fantastic because it tells you so much. Like for example, I'm like thinking, well, Google Cloud, what does that mean? Well, when they break it out to say providers of digital video like Amazon, Apple, AT&T, Disney, Hulu, Meta, Netflix. Okay, now I can think about what business that is that competes directly against um, some of these players. So for cloud, as an example, they list Alibaba, Amazon, Microsoft, and Salesforce. So I can go to Amazon and Microsoft's 10K, which we talked about those already because we've studied those companies. But if you hadn't studied that industry, that would be a clue to you. Okay, I need to go check out these companies and see how they compete, how things are similar and how things are different, how they look at risk too. I will like to make that. I do paper notes. I do some highlighting on the computer, but I also just straight up pen and paper. And that's one of the things I'll focus on listing for companies I look at is direct competitors that are mentioned and then start to build this sort of rough, really messy industry map to get a big picture sense of like, who are these players and how do they compare? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's I think, is a secret sauce that I picked up from Andrew is thinking about the competition and how that could impact the business that you're considering. And sometimes indirectly, if you're looking at competitors, sometimes you find maybe they're more attractive than the company you originally intended to invest in or learn about. So that's another, I guess, little secret tidbit that can help you find other investment ideas. One of the things that I like to do is I try to think of kind of along the lines of what Charlie Munger likes to preach, always invert. And I always try to approach it in the manner of I'm trying to find reasons why not to buy this company. And the risk section can be the perfect place for you to find a reason not to buy the company. Because sometimes, maybe not necessarily in the case of of Google, but sometimes you're going to find things in there that are going to give you pause or that make you think, okay, maybe this is a bigger risk than I had considered initially. And this may not be something that I want to invest in. Another thing that I found is a lot of times they will list the things that they find the most risky or their biggest risk. And in this case, they're talking about advertising because that's 
the majority of the revenue that Google generates comes from advertising, whether it's through the Google search or whether it's from YouTube or other sources of revenue, that's where they make their money. And so when advertising suffers, then the company likewise suffers. And we're actually seeing that play out in real time right now. So that's something that would definitely stand out to me. But sometimes when you're reading through the risk section, you will come across what I like to call boilerplate kind of language. We have to remember that a lot of times lawyers are the ones that write these. And so they will come up with everything under the sun to cover their butts to make sure that somebody can't say, hey, you know, I bought this company because, you know, they didn't risk the fact that it could rain on Tuesdays as a risk for investing in Google. I'm not saying that's actually in there, but you get what I'm saying. And sometimes you're going to come across things that you're just like, really? Duh. Why is this in here? But it's a good idea to definitely move through the risk section. I'm going to warn you, if you want to invest in banks, you need to bring a lot of coffee to the table when you sit down with a 10K because the regulations sections of the risk sections for banks is long and laborious and it's really hard to get through. So I'm just, I'm not trying to talk you out of banks, but just keep that in mind. But when we think about looking at the risks You know, for me, I always want to look for a reason why I don't want to buy the company. And I will make questions along the way. And if something occurs to me as I'm reading through the risk section, it'll help me, I guess, give me a little more clarity on what some of those potential downsides for the investment could be. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. Yeah, that's the fantastic. I love that invert idea. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to the, I guess, the next section. This is kind of where you start to get into the meat and potatoes for me uh, is the MDNA or the management discussion and analysis. This is where the company is going to start to really talk about what is going on with the business and why things are happening, good or bad. And the thing that I always try to look for in this section is how honest is the management really being with me? Are they telling me the truth or are they just trying to sugarcoat bad times? And that can go a long ways to giving you an idea of what kind of management team you could be investing in. Break that down. So like, how would you parse that this management doesn't seem honest? You know, it's hard to quantify. I think the easiest way that I can do it is if you... For example, if things are obviously not going well for the business, and this is maybe not necessarily in, in Google's case, but let's take company B. I, I'm going to blank on a, a Snapchat. name. Okay, Snapchat. So <laughs> Snapchat is on the struggle bus big time right now. Revenues are down. Market sentiment is incredibly down. Everybody's super bearish on the company, and it's no secret that they're on the struggle bus. If management came out and said, hey, everything is great and we got all these wonderful things going for it and everything is awesome, and you know that's not the case, they're not telling you the truth. I'm not saying they're outright lying, but they're not telling you the truth. And you want people to be honest with you because you're going to invest in a company. And if management doesn't have enough integrity to tell you when things are not going as they hope and as they plan, and they're just trying to you know, spread a lot of sunshine and rainbows when that's not really 
what's going on. That to me would tell me that that's not people I want to invest in because they're not being real. They're not telling me what's really going on. There are times when companies are going to struggle and when things happen poorly and you want management to step up and in I guess, in essence, take a bullet for you. And I'll relate a company that I own, PayPal. Uh, PayPal has been on a bit of a struggle bus as well. But Dan Schulman, the CEO, has not tried to skate around it. He's been up front and said, yeah, we dropped the ball. We haven't done as good as we can. And we've took, taken our eye off of our core business. And we got bigger than we thought we should. And you know, now they're trying to get back in their groove. And time will tell if they can. But to me... That gives me more confidence that, hey, he gets it. He understands what he's doing. And he may not have the answers, but at least he's not telling me, you know, everything's great. So I could just keep dumping more money into the company when it would be more of a situation of, well, let's see if the things that they're trying to execute on actually come to pass because then I go, okay, they can execute and they can do what I need to do. So hopefully those two, I guess, examples would give you an idea of maybe kind of how to look at it. Like, again, it's not a hard concrete thing. It's more of a gut feel kind of idea. Yeah. I love that you gave us some color on that. <laughs> you just I liked guess, that. I was talking negative about Snapchat. <laughs> no, no. I'm a Snapchat user too. Yeah, I know you are. Uh, <laughs> the other thing I would say, while we're on the subject of kind of evaluating the MDNA and like how management's presenting it, I think Brian Dennis posted something on Twitter. This is a while ago, but it still sticks out with me is like, look for the adjusted EBITDA and like how many times are they mentioning adjusted EBITDA and, you know, are they using that as a crutch, right? So if you can look at all these numbers look bad, but their adjusted EBITDA looks good, then that's probably a red flag too, because there are some businesses that can use adjusted metrics and it makes sense. But I would say there are more businesses than not that it's not really something that necessarily makes sense. It's them trying to present bad business results in a better light. Yeah, exactly. I saw something on Twitter today. As a matter of fact, there was, I don't remember which company it was, reported earnings and they had negative earnings and they presented in their earnings slide 17 adjustments, 17 adjustments <laughs> to make it positive. It was literally almost everything you could think of. I don't remember exactly what the caption was, but it was something quite witty and quite brilliant. But it basically highlights exactly what you're just saying. And yeah, those are things that if you start seeing a lot of that, you know, it's one thing to adjust because they want to measure the business performance for example, Brookfield Asset Management, they present an item called Adjusted Funds from Operations, which is not a gap metric, but it's widely regarded as an acceptable metric to measure the performance of a business like Brookfield Asset Management. So that's legitimate. But when you see Adjusted EBITDA with 17 different kinds of line items in there, that's taken a, a step or two too far. Yeah. <laughs> Rates and those type of businesses like Brookfield, those can do adjusted FFO, but other ones, no, come on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, the basic structure from what I have observed when you're looking at MDA is they walk through the income statement and they walk through all the segments. They walk through the revenues. They walk through the costs, both of sales as well as operations. They talk about the earnings. And so they kind of give you a little more color 
to the operations of the business. What's impacting them and what's not impacting them? Like for a perfect example is if a company is taking on bigger headcount like Google is, then that's going to impact their margins because they have more people to pay and that higher payroll is going to impact their margins. So those are the kinds of things that you would see in that. And then the next section they would kind of walk through would be the balance sheet and talk about the strengths and the weaknesses of the balance sheet. Then they would look at the cash flow statement. And then finally, they would talk about any sort of capital allocation, which is dividends, share buybacks, any of those kinds of things. So those are different sections you can look through. And again, if you're just looking for the company the first time, read through all of it. If it's something that you're super familiar with, maybe you pick and choose different sections that you want to look at. For example, if I'm looking at Google over a five-year period, I may not read through every single part of their capital allocation, but I may look at everything that has to do with costs for the business because I want to see how those are impacting the margins and what they're doing to control those or keep an eye on those because that can go a long ways towards the profitability of the business. I would encourage if you're looking at an MDNA the first time and a company has multiple segments like Google does here, they have Google search, YouTube ads, Google network. They like break within that, those three right there that broke out. That was part of the Google services segment. So within that, that paints a really good picture to me because when I think of Google, I know Google search and I know google.com and can have an advertisement on there. It's how to make money. But I also know that they own YouTube. And I know that when you're on YouTube, if you don't have a premium account, they show you ads. And so by looking for that table that either breaks down revenue by segment or revenue by, in this case, they did it a deeper dive into the segment between the Google search, the YouTube ads, and the Google network, then you can see, all right, Google search makes up you know five times more than YouTube. So I can know that, okay, YouTube's a great growth business, but the Google search is way more impactful at the moment. And you can also, if they're presenting it in a good way, you can see how it's moving from year to year. It's like, wow, from 2020 to 2021, growth was big across the board, especially Google search and especially YouTube ads. So you can see that within the MDNA. And to me, starting there can be very helpful for a lot of the annual reports you look through because you can glean a lot of information without needing to read too, too much. Yeah, exactly. And I love that. And I think one of the things that I like about different companies is some will give you more information than others. Sometimes like in the sections that Andrew is talking about when they're looking at segment breakdowns, some companies will give you five years of data and some will only give you three. And when they give you five, that's awesome because now it gives you a bigger snapshot so you can see how Google services would be doing, for example. And it just highlights the the importance of how the impacts of costs and all those things can have on the business. And basically just seeing how Google's management is executing on whatever they're trying to execute on. All right. So once we kind of move through the MDNA, then where would you head? So the way I approach these annual reports is I've looked at the financials already. I'll use a website like quickfs.net or stratosphere.io. So I've looked at the numbers and I've gotten a rough idea in my head, maybe played with a few spreadsheets that I know I like the financials. So I will actually skip 
the next section, which is the three financial statements. And I will continue going down that path of trying to figure out what I want to learn about the business. And to tell you that answer is it's different every time. So kind of going back to that idea you said of listing out questions of what do I want to learn next? I guess I don't do that necessarily explicitly, but I think I do it in my head and I do take notes of like things I want to circle back to. So thinking of we've looked at the segments for Google, we've kind of seen how they generate most of their probably want to see the profitability of those segments. So where the the one table we looked at, the MDNA showed the revenue and revenue sources. They have another one for operating income. And so that shows me that Google services is profitable and the Google Cloud and the other bets are not. So I'm really going to focus a lot of the research energy on that segment versus the other ones. Even if the other ones might have good, and this is just my personal opinion, even if the other segments have good potential, I'm the type of businesses I buy have a lot of free cash flow now. So I'm really focused on how is that going to continue in the next five to 10 years. I would look at that profit table and I would see, okay, where can I learn more about the Google services? And I don't have a good answer for that at the moment because we're kind of skimming through. But I'm sure after reading the risk factors, there would have to be two or three things that would take me there. And I might even jump to like Microsoft or Amazon at this point and then maybe circle back to Google again. It really just depends. Yeah, I like that. One of the things that I guess I would do is along those lines of looking at the different segments is look through the notes and in the notes section underneath the financial reports. So underneath the the big three financial reports, there is a section called notes. And in there, the company is going to provide more detailed information about things that are not included in, for example, the income statement. And so there'll be more detail on certain items that are in the income statement that maybe they don't break out. And same with the balance sheet, same with the cash flow statement and other things. So you can learn more about, for example, the debt of the company, how much they have, how long the debt is due, and when the repayments need to be. And sometimes that can give you a great insight into, hey, the company has a three-year window where they don't have any debt payments. And so they can go big on either paying down debt or they can go big on investments because now they don't have, they can use any extra money they have to really invest in the business. So, I mean, those are different kinds of things that you can see to in the section. And you can also find more detailed information on the segments as well. The MDA may give you a lot of great color about what's going on, but sometimes the in the notes section, they will break out the segments so that you can see the profitability of each segment by segment and all in one place. So it can give you a, you know, a nice overview of things. And for example, if, as we're reading through Google, the cloud is obviously something that Google has made important. They've made it a separate section a segment they highlighted in their earnings calls. And what I would do is if I'm looking at that, I also would want to look at their competitors and that would lead me to Amazon and Microsoft. And if you do that, then you see that, you know, first you can see that Google is doing a good job of growing the cloud. But then if you also compare it on a revenue scale at this time, to companies like Microsoft and Amazon, it's kind of small peanuts <laughs> at this point. And so, you know, it you have to kind of balance how much time do you really want to spend on a, a very fast growing segment of the business 
but overall, it doesn't have that much impact on the overall performance of the business at this point. So you'd kind of want to balance, I'd want to balance how much time do I really want to allocate to the cloud versus the services segment, which is really, really, really driving the bus at this point. I guess that's where I would probably put more of my focus if I was analyzing Google. Yeah, that's a great point. I think I misspoke by saying Microsoft and Amazon. So they actually do we can go back to their competitor section and you can see some of the other social networks like ByteDance, Meta, Snap, and Twitter. That's probably where you would want to spend more of your focus to your point because of the large revenues percentage that comes from that. The only caveat I'll add to the notes is it's like the risk factors that are written by lawyers, except it's written by CFAs for finance types. <laughs> right. So... You know, when I was going through this journey of learning about the notes, I would almost have to take it on a month-by-month basis and just try to learn a little bit each month. And sometimes it applies to the companies you're looking at and sometimes it doesn't. So as an example, there's one note that you'll see in a lot of the companies is AFS HTM. So like available for sale and hailed to maturity. So I had no idea what that was. And honestly, reading through the notes did not help me at all. Basically, what it is, is a company like Google, if they have a bunch of cash, they could buy stocks with that cash of other companies. They could buy bonds, which gives them investment income, just like an investor would. So lucky for me, when I was looking through that, Dave had just recently written a great blog post about AFS and HTM. And so reading his blog post alongside the company I was looking at, something in that clicked where I was like, Oh, so now every time I look at an annual report and I can see that HTM AFS investment security section, that makes sense to me now. But it didn't make sense when I was first digging through annual reports, so I would just skip it. And that's not always the worst thing in the world, but you do have to be careful because sometimes something can be hidden. So another example I like to bring up is pension liabilities. So a lot of companies will have that in their notes, which is basically like UPS is an example. They have huge pension liabilities where a lot of the people who have worked there for a long time get a pension and the company pays for it. So if we're looking at a company like Google, they don't have hardly anybody on that. So it's not something you focus on. But if you're looking at a company like UPS or FedEx or even like the defense contractors, some of those have really large pension liabilities so you would want to go there and really focus that time to say, okay, I'm going to narrow down on this note for this company and maybe compare with peers and see how much that impacts the value of a company. Yeah, that's great advice. I was right there with you. There were sections when I would read through there, I was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> and I would have to go spend some time learning about deferred taxes or deferred revenue. Some of these things that just were not roll off the tongue. I know these and exactly what they are. And it can be humbling, but it's part of the process and it's part of learning. And just like anything else, if you just kind of work through it like the pizza, you'll get to where you want to go. And you may not understand all of it immediately, but different businesses, it will have bigger or lesser impacts on the business. So that you can kind of take on a case by case basis as well. And all those things are just part of the process of learning through the business. All right. So kind of work through the major sections of the 10K, I guess, where would you go now? Would you look at other businesses or would you look at other 10Ks or 
how would you kind of approach the next step then? Yeah. In this particular case for Google, assuming we had gone through all the risk factors and any notes that I saw that I wanted to double click on, we did that. Then I would move on to like Meta and I would move on to Snapchat and I would re- I would go through the same process and then start building a what I like to do a lot is build an industry map and lay out. So for Google's case, like their operating income from services, compare that with Facebook's over five, 10 years, however many years we have available. What's the margins like? Kind of going to our bird's eye view episodes. What's the margins like? How do those compare? Because when you look at big companies like Google or Meta or Microsoft, you can't just take the whole company and compare margins because there's different businesses inside. And so you really have to take it by piece and by piece. So that's where I would go with this. I mean, big picture wise, if that all sounds like a lot of work, you're right, it is. That's why stock picking is hard because it's a lot of work and there's no way to sugarcoat that. There's plenty of people who will tell you that you can do it easily. As I found through the years, it's a lot of work and you can do it. You just have to be smart about something I read. I can't remember. It might have been Morgan Housel or I can't remember the exact, but it was like the best investor. Oh, I think it was David Rubenstein. He has a new book called How to Invest. He said, either he said or one of the people he interviewed said that the best investors have this extraordinary ability to sift through enormous amounts of information and laser focus into the things that really matter. And so if you're able to do that and you see everything we've talked about today as a challenge instead of an overwhelming kind of feeling, then I think you'll have a good chance at at doing really well with whatever you're trying to do along this journey. All right. I think that's a great place to wrap it. All right, folks. Well, with that, we will go ahead and wrap up our bird's eye view of reading through Google's 10K. So we hope that you found this entertaining, enjoyable, encouraging, and you got this. You can do this. And we have lots of great resources on our website, einvestingforbeginners.com, to help you learn more about the different topics, the line items, the income statements, and any other financial statements, as well as the definitions that we were talking about in the notes. There's lots of great information there to help you learn about the specifics of each of the questions or things that you might come across in the 10K that you're not familiar with. And they can help you become a better investor over time. The only way to become a better investor is by reading and by doing. And the more you do, the better you'll get. So with that, I will go ahead and wrap us up. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety. Emphasis on the safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. 